Well, welcome back, church. Welcome back. I hope that you are enjoying yourself here this morning. I pray that you enjoyed that worship set. Um, I certainly appreciate it. It's always a wonderful privilege and always a wonderful opportunity to go before the Lord in worship just like that. Amen. I wish I had the voice to sing uh, because I enjoy it. I don't know about you. It, there's something special about finding ourselves in the presence of our Heavenly Father and to just simply cast ourselves before His presence and to do so with a genuine heart, a genuine spirit, with pure motivation, just simply to worship Him, not not coming before Him with ulterior motives or anything like that, just purely, unadulterately worship Him in spirit and in truth. I hope and pray that you've done that this morning. Uh, because God looks for that. Amen. God desires for His people to come before Him just like that. He understands what we're going through. He knows exactly what we're dealing with in society today. He has all the answers. Amen. He has all the answers. And if only we as His people can come to that place where we can just, just simply yield ourselves completely to Him to do amazing things in our lives. And that, in, in a sense, is a, a little bit about what this message this morning is about. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, if you haven't already done so. And I say that because we post our bulletin on our website every week in advance. So the title and the scripture passage is, is online. And you, could always, you always have access to, to that resource in advance. And also, if you did take a peek at that, that bulletin, you would probably, you probably took note that, that today is little Estrella's birthday. Amen. So most of you, I think, know Estrella. She is our dear brother Otto's um, daughter. We certainly love that family. And if you can, if you have access to the chat right now, she's listening in. She she actually chatted this morning. She said, Pastor Rick, can you pray for me because today is my birthday. So she's watching right now. So if you can, why don't you just take a quick moment right now and, and send her a happy birthday. Maybe sing to her. I, I'd love to sing to her, but I don't want to make that mistake. You know, I don't want to chase anybody away with my, my raspy voice. So I'm not going to sing happy birthday. Estrella, happy birthday. We love you. Thank you so much for being a part of our, our church family. We certainly appreciate you, and I pray that you enjoy the chats, the, the, the chatting that's going to take place right now uh, on your behalf. Anyway, the title that I have for you this morning, church, is Validation and Endless Pursuit, or better yet, Self-Validation and Endless Pursuit. And this morning, we're going to be coming to you from Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16. But by way of a preface, if I can do so right now and for the next few moments, this is just simply a, a simple response from me concerning this particular passage uh, related to a dilemma that I believe to be at the core of society's problems today. We know there, there are a lot of issues, um, and, but if we took the time as believers, at least in light of what the scriptures teach us concerning the real problem that exists in society. Yes, I understand that it goes back to sin. The reason society is the way that it is is because of sin. But let's be specific about certain things. And validation or self-validation is probably at the core 
of why society, why the world is in the condition that it's in today. So today we're going to delve into that just a little bit in my simple way. I'm not an expert, um, to say the least, uh, but I'm going to just simply try to give my thoughts on what it is Paul was addressing in Philippians chapter 3, at least one of the aspects, one of the things that he was um, talking about, uh, trying to unpack in Philippians chapter 3. Self-validation. It means to recognize or affirm the validity or worth of a person or their feelings or opinions. To cause a person to feel valued or worthwhile. It seems innocent enough, doesn't it? Um, but it's not so innocent when we factor in the fact. Uh, I'm thinking of a verse in Jeremiah 17.9, I believe it is. It, it says that the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is evil above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So even though this definition of self-validation, it seems innocent enough. When you factor in the nature of our, of our, our, our heart, um, and the fact that it is wild to say the least, we will always, we find that at the end of the day, we will always choose to validate ourselves by a standard that is contrary to the Lord's. This morning, in a few moments, um, perhaps after the passage that we read, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to just, just briefly discover from Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to necessarily read anything there. But I want to take your thoughts back there because this is where it all went wrong. Amen. It's, we're talking about the, the, the garden experience and the original sin and what it did to mankind. Because when, when, when Adam and Eve chose to dismiss God's commandment to them, he said to them simply, that particular tree over there, don't touch it. And I know I've referred to this quite a few times before in the past. But it's not, it, it, it never gets old uh, because this is in fact at the core of why mankind is the way that he is today. God gave man instructions in the beginning. Long story short, he, because man disobeyed the word of the Lord in the beginning, it created a void, an emptiness within man. An emptiness within man. And ever since then, we have been endlessly pursuing validation outside the scope of the Word of God. As if somehow we can, we can fix ourselves, right? We know that to be a lie. The idea then of this particular passage is that Paul teaches us how to neutralize this tendency within us and to manage our lives according to the Word of God in a manner in which actually pleases Him. Philippians chapter 3. Go with me there if you are not already there. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 16 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. <clears throat> but whatever gain I had, this is, this is the part that I like. First he gives us a list of his accolades, and then he goes on to sort of dismiss, to denounce, we'll get into that a little bit later, to denounce his accolades, to denounce his past. He turns over a new leaf, and he presents to us his heart now, his drive now. Verse, um, he says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or garbage. Your version, one of you may have a version that reads garbage. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. Uh, certainly we pray that God may add blessings to the reading of this word. Why don't you go before the Lord in prayer with me once again. Amen. We're also going to take this opportunity to pray for our uh, dear little sister Estrella. Father, once again, we just simply come before you. We join our hearts. We certainly thank you so much, Lord God, for this precious passage, for the Word of God, and for allowing us the opportunity to not just, not just to simply read it, but to understand it, and to intentionally desire for you to make a difference in our lives by way of the truth of your Holy Scriptures. Father, we believe it's the unadulterated Word of God. It is our life source. It is your word, Lord God, and we need to hear from you this morning. May you speak clearly to us. May we understand in our hearts and in our minds what it is you desire to say to us concerning this topic of validation or concerning this topic of self-validation. What does it mean, Lord God? What direction are we moving in? What is it that we need to walk away from, from this particular passage, from this particular lesson? What do you want us to understand? Are there any hazards? Are there any dangers that we need to be mindful or aware of concerning this topic? We certainly pray for this understanding this morning. I pray for your people this morning, Lord God. I pray for ultra sensitivity to your spirit this morning. I pray for an ultra sensitivity to your word this morning that you may make a difference in the lives of your people, in the lives of everybody tuning in this morning to this particular 
uh, service alive. We thank you so much for everybody. And Father, we pray at this time for our dear little sister Estrella. It is her birthday. We pray, Lord God, that you may bless her in a very, very, very special way. We pray that you may bless her father and her mommy and the rest of her family as well. We thank you so much for these things, Father God. We pray this in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Here's a question for you. When was the last time you used or heard the word self-esteem? That's one of those phrases, one of those, one of those phrases or words that we hear in society a lot nowadays. Uh, especially if you visited a psychologist, a shrink, a doctor, etc. Um, or just simply delved into your textbooks in school. We hear this a lot, self-esteem. Did you know that that particular phrase is rooted and grounded in self-validation? This is what we're going to try to unpack here this morning. Obviously, uh, not all validation is bad. Not at all. Uh, just off the top of my mind, I'm thinking about King David and how um, during certain times of his life, especially during that season in his life, when King Saul was pursuing him, and quite literally King Saul was looking to destroy him, was looking to kill him in no uncertain terms. And so it was during that time when King David was producing a lot of his psalms. And, and, and the Bible tells us, in fact, that quite explicitly, that he was encouraging himself. But there's a difference between that type of encouragement and the encouragement or the self-validation that we're going to be talking about here this morning. There's a hazard, there's a danger that you and I need to be mindful of. And I'm going to give you a couple of quotes here. This morning. Certain uh, psychologists slash psychiatrists so that we can understand that self-validation, what its root is and what Satan's aim or objective has been from the very beginning, from the very God, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. So the emphasis here is to point out that the same substance that derailed man's existence in the beginning is the same stuff destroying our lives today in society. Self-validation. And if you don't already know, self-righteousness is at the heart of self-validation. And in my view, this is the, the way the enemy, the Satan himself, the devil, the way that demons have succeeded in, in, in prevailing upon our affairs. And when I say our affairs, I'm talking about mankind. Society is not what it should be. Society, mankind is not experiencing the abundance that God has always intended for us to experience. And one of the things at its core, one of the things that Satan has used is this concept of self-validation. What is it? What is it about this, this, this concept that we need to be talking about here this morning? He's been taking advantage, I'm talking about the enemy, Satan has been taking advantage of our need to feel valued, catering to our self-worth, making us feel like gods by causing us to believe that he's always been looking out for us, somehow giving us something that God has refused to give us. And those of you who know the scriptures, those of you who, who have studied Genesis chapter 3 know exactly what I was referring to there. God gave 
Adam and Eve instructions. And Satan comes along. He sort of masqueraded his presence. He appears to Eve in the form of a serpent. And he causes her, he causes them to believe that God was withholding something special from them. And so she takes a look at the tree after having had a, a, a conversation with the serpent. And all of a sudden the tree morphed and it appears to be differently than what it did prior. And she said, you know the story, I'm not going to get into that. I've said that many times before. And so therein is the deception, the web of deception that Satan introduced to mankind. And ever since then, we have been pursuing this self-validation uh, just trying to feel valued, trying to, trying to discover worth and value for ourselves. Hence the title, Self-Validation, An Endless, An Endless Pursuit. And let me draw your attention back to Philippians chapter 3, because it is my belief that Paul was essentially addressing this subject in this particular chapter. Let me give you just a paraphrase of what, it, what I believe, in a nutshell, Paul the Apostle was saying. He said, I refuse to identify with everything I accomplish for myself while in my sin. He says, I refuse to identify with those things. Today, my identity is Christ-centered. And let's not forget that Paul the Apostle was a man who knew what it was like on the other side of the fence. We know from this particular passage, uh, because he gives us a list of his accolades, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, as pertaining the law, according to him, he was blameless. And so those are his accolades. He, he knew what it was like to be on that side of, of you know, self-actualization, if we could put it that way. In a few moments, I'm going to be talking about that. That's Abraham Maslow's um, theory. Uh, and so Paul the Apostle knew what it was like. To feel accomplished. He knew what it was like to, to, to acquire the, the, the better things in life, if we could put it that way. But now he finds himself expressing something totally different in this particular passage. And we're going to hear from him. Look at verse 8, for example. Verse 8 says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now just pause there for a moment. Listen to what he's really talking about. One moment he gives us his accolades. I mean, it was quite an accomplishment. In, in my view, Paul the Apostle was extremely educated. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was a part of the Sanhedrin, the, Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council, the governing body in, in Israel. And right here, he's kind of denouncing all of that stuff. And he's telling us, I'm going to read it again. Verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything that was a part of my life. Everything that I subscribed to, that I ascribed to. Everything that was a part of my life before my faith. Before my, my Christianity. You know what? It's garbage to me today. It's of no value. It's of no interest. It is of no concern to me. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He didn't say for whose sake I have lost some things. And that's the idea of reservations, right? We toss that around a lot. 
We, we like to kind of put ourselves in a position to believe that we, yes, today I am living without any reservations whatsoever. But is, is that true about ourselves? We could talk about that for weeks, right? But concerning Paul the Apostle, for he, he, he says, For whose sake I have lost all things. And let's continue with the verse. It says, I consider them garbage. It says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Makes you wonder whether there's any truth to the notion that we can actually experience validation outside of intimacy with the Lord, doesn't it? It's an amazing. And lately I've been kind of thinking a lot about that. And honestly, it's quite alarming when you, when you think about that. Because there is, when we think about society outside of these walls, when you think about society outside the walls of your particular home, there, there's an entire generation or there are entire generations out there who are almost entirely secular. What becomes, for example, of our children if they are not exposed to the gospel? What becomes of them? This, in my view, this is the answer. They will look for validation in systems outside of the truth of the gospel. If our children... And like I said already, if I can reiterate, there are whole entire generations outside of these walls. I'm in, I'm in church, I'm in our sanctuary, transmitting live. There are entire generations outside of these walls who have not been exposed in some meaningful way, that is, to the truth, the unadulterated truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what becomes of them? What becomes of them? And this is what I believe um, Jesus Christ was referring to when he says, quote, in Luke 18, 8, if you want to write, down, write that down. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man, referring to himself, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We're talking about self-validation here this morning. We're talking about... A dilemma that exists in society today that began way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to unfold this. Got a couple questions for you. How validated do you feel this morning? What is the source of your confidence today? While it is, I stated this already, while it is okay for you and I to encourage ourselves in the Lord, it is important to know that all self-validation apart from the security of knowing Jesus is extremely dangerous. And I want us to consider this in a few moments. I want you to take a journey with me across the scriptures. I don't want you to turn to any of the passages. I'm going to go through this relatively quickly. But I want you to take note of the chapters that I'm going to give you uh, from the Word of God. That way you can look to them a little bit later. Do a little research uh, a little bit later. Uh, beginning with Genesis chapter 3, we've talked about that uh, for a few moments already this morning. Adam and Eve, obviously they lost sight of the commandment of God, the commandment that God had given to them. And they ended up, I want you to make note of this, because they ended up, after they rebelled against God, they ended up covering themselves, covering up their shame with leaves. They ended up covering up their shame with leaves. That is where self-validation was introduced to us in the scriptures. 
That's, that's what I told you. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. Self-validation. They dismiss the voice of God. They dismiss the word of God. And what remedy, what solution, what resolve did they have after that? Here it is, they, they, for the first time, mankind had experienced a separation, if you will, um, with, with God, between themselves and God. There was a void that was created on the inside of them, and so they had to resort to, to, to kind of fulfill themselves, to cover themselves. And Scripture tells us that they covered themselves with leaves. Uh, secondly... And by the way, that was Genesis chapter 3, if I didn't give that to you. And make a note of this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We want to talk about, just for about a minute, um, King Saul. As we know, King Saul was the first king that, that God had placed over the nation of Israel. And God had given him instructions about how to handle, how to handle a particular nation or a particular people known as the the Amalekites, known as the Amalekites, and God had given uh, King Saul just simple instructions. He told them in no uncertain terms, I want you to go and I want you to destroy them. Man, woman, child, and beast, I want you to destroy everything that breathes concerning the Amalekites. And what we know from scriptures is that that yes, Saul went out, he ventured out to destroy the Amalekites, but he did not kill everyone or everything. According to scripture, he saved the, the, the king himself of the Amalekites, and he saved the best animals, for whatever reason, right? He saved the best animals, and when he was confronted in, um, in verse 11 by Samuel, God said to Samuel, actually God said to Samuel, I regret, this is a quote, I regret that I have made Saul king over Israel. And so what did Samuel do? Well, he was following God's instructions. He went, he wanted to confront King Saul. And after being confronted, King Saul denied his sin. And in verse 14, Samuel says to, Samuel says to King Saul, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? Or the lowering, lowing of cattle that I hear. Of course, he was talking about the noise that the sheep were making, the noise that the cattle was making. He, he was listening to this, and Samuel knew that, of course, because God had revealed this to him, Samuel knew that, Samuel, that Saul did not follow through with all the instructions that he was given. And so the kingdom was taken from him. That, that particular day. The point there, of course, is that, that, that King Saul was more interested in what the people thought of him than what God thought of him or what God had to say. He was more interested in pleasing man than pleasing God. That is another example of self-validation. And number three, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, we find the story of King Solomon. We know that according to the scriptures, Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived. And in this particular chapter, we read about this particular story where, where, where God confronts or reveals himself to Solomon and kind of gives him the desire of his heart. Solomon simply wanted to be a blessing to his people. He wanted to be a blessing to God. 
by serving his people adequately and properly. So he asked God for wisdom. He said, I don't want riches, I don't want fame, I don't want any of that stuff. I just need the wisdom from you to lead this multitude of people. And God answered his heart's prayer. He gave him wisdom and as a result of the purity of his heart, he gave him riches, he gave him life uh, as well. But, but later on in the scriptures, we, we discover that, that, that Solomon filled his own heart with a lust for women. And the end result was, of course, that he abandoned the word of God. He abandoned the oracles of God, is what the scripture teaches us. Which meant that his validation was no longer coming from heaven. His heart turned away from God because of a lust for women, a lust for power, a lust for wealth, all those things that God had given to him. Now he was validating himself by all of those things that he had acquired, all those things that God had given to him. The women in his life were validating Women in, in his life were, were giving him meaning and purpose and, and self-worth, etc. And he felt to some degree in the heart where it matters the most. Remember Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is wicked. The heart is evil above all things. And so now his heart turns away from God and he's pursuing a validation outside of the presence of God. Number four, uh, the Gospels. Turn your attention to the Gospels and to just simply talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees for just a little bit. We know that according to scriptures, these were individuals who were in positions of influence, in great positions of influence. Yet we know that their hearts were far from God because Jesus Christ actually addressed them. At one point in Mark 12, 34, Jesus referred to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as well as the scribes and certain other, the lawyers, for example. He called them a generation of vipers. Why? Because their hearts were far from God. Because God wasn't the one validating them. They weren't looking to God for validation. They were looking to themselves, to their traditions, to their culture, to their academics for validation instead of looking for these things in God Himself. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus called them hypocrites. Because, quote, they, prefer, they preferred the praise of men rather than the favor of God. Amazing. So we see how this self-validation, how this hazard, this danger has been flowing through the annals of time ever since the Garden of Eden, which exists in society today. It's extremely pervasive in society today. But I want you to turn your I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 16. Again, you don't have to go there, but just make note of it because when we're done uh, as we as you go through your day, I want you to read the story of a young dinosaur. We talked about her once before. I think I preached the message. Uh, maybe not since I've been pastor, but when I visited um, the church here uh, while we were campaigning for the for this particular position. And this young damsel, she was a soothsayer. She was a, a witch. And the story goes that as Paul the Apostle was leading his evangelistic team on one of his missionary journeys, he was preaching the gospel, people were being healed, people were being saved as a result. 
This young woman, it turns out that she was following Paul the Apostle and the evangelistic team. And what was she doing? What was she doing? She knew that at one point, Paul the Apostle and his team were no longer going to be around in that particular region. And if she can tag along that ministry team long enough, maybe she can receive validation from Paul the Apostle. And the scriptures tell us that she was kind of uh, 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 pro making proclamations to the people. These are men of God. They are preaching the word of God. We need to listen to them. Mm, can you imagine how it would have been in that particular region had Paul the Apostle not turned around and rebuked that damsel and cast that demon of divin divination out of her? Well, that's exactly what he did. At some point he got tired, moved by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle turned around and he rebuked that young girl. He cast the demon of divin divination out of her and there went her hopes for validation. This is a, an extremely important topic. Um, and number six, and lastly concerning this thing, um, from this particular text, I want you to look at verses 13 and 14 for a moment. Because it talks about our beloved Paul the Apostle and how he denounces this ideology, this ideology for self-worth, self-determination. I'm sure you've heard that before. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. It's extremely, extremely valid point and it's an, an extremely important message to deliver. And listen, before I go any further, I want to challenge you to do your own research, to do your own studies, look to the scriptures and find out a little bit more what the Bible has to say about self-validation. Paul the Apostle talked about this self-righteousness in the book of Romans. Uh, and in Romans chapter, what is it? Uh, I forget the verse right now. But he says that we have all come short of the glory of God. That we have all come short. So no matter what you and I try, in terms of increasing value of self-worth in our lives, we will always come short. And Paul the Apostle knew this. Verses 13 and 14. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to, to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What an amazing declaration by the Apostle Paul. I think that should be the anthem of every believer. I think that is something we should be screaming and declaring from the top of our voices. We should be declaring this particular message from, from our rooftops, from the church house, from the pinnacle, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We should be moving in the direction of denouncing all the things that we've succeeded or accomplished for ourselves. We should be denouncing these things and giving glory to God. Can you imagine what we could accomplish if we do this loudly enough, imagine the impact on the voices of naturalism or secular humanism. Because of the, these are the philosophies that govern society today. You know that, right? Make note of that. Self, or rather naturalism and secular humanism. Make note of that. 
And I challenge you for this week, do a personal study on those terms alone. You will be surprised what you discover. Listen to this one particular quote um, from a prominent psychologist. And I'm not going to give you her name um, other than to say Dr. P. Let's just refer to her as, yes, uh, her, as Dr. P. And I quote, You need to take loving action on your behalf based on what is loving to you. On what is your highest goal. In order to do this, you need to be devoted to learning to see yourself through the eyes of your higher self rather than through the eyes of your ego-wounded self. And I continue with her, with her quote. She says, she goes on to say, you need to tune into the wisdom of your higher self to know what is loving action toward yourself and others. To know what is loving action to yourself and others. I don't know about you, but that sounds like new age to me. Your inner child, she continues, will not know that he or she is important to you if you do not take loving action on your own behalf. Eating well, getting enough sleep and exercise, speaking up for yourself with others without blame, creating a balance between work and play, moving yourself toward doing work you love, and so on. If that doesn't sound like new age, I don't know what will. And yet that's the kind of stuff that we find in classroom textbooks around the world. In fact, that's the kind of stuff that I hear coming across pulpits from here, preachers here in the United States and across the world. Listen, I'm going to digress from that. This message is not about bashing preachers and stuff like that. But it's so true because that's the same message I hear from many preachers today. Have you ever read the book, The Purpose Driven Life? Hmm. I digress and I leave that to your imagination. Here's another quote from another prominent psychologist. We know that believing in yourself and accepting yourself for who you are is an important factor in success, relationships, and happiness. And that self-esteem, did you hear that? And that self-esteem plays an important role in living a flourishing life. She continues, it provides us with belief in our abilities and the motivation to carry them out, ultimately reaching fulfillment as we navigate life with a positive outlook. That is Dr. C.A. Those are her initials, Dr. C.A. It seems to be simple and innocent enough, doesn't it? When you listen to that sort of stuff. And you'll be surprised how we're absorbing that kind of information all day long. No matter what programming you tune in on television. No matter what music you listen to. Especially if you're enjoying secular music. Listen, I don't, I don't entirely uh, oppose all secular music. But most of it, probably all of it, contains this sort of philosophy embedded in it. And when we absorb this all day long, at the end of the day, would it surprise you 
that we begin to display these sensitivities that are not necessarily sanctioned by the scriptures, by the word of God. We begin to delve into this thing where we, where we need to self-validate. Hmm. Let me go on. Abraham Maslow was a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist that's uh, really famous. He wrote a lot of textbooks. In fact, when I went to college, I studied um, business management. And it was his philosophy that was embedded in all the textbooks, all the business textbooks uh, that I read for the, for the few years that I, uh, I went to college. Over and over again, Maslow, Maslow, Abraham Maslow. And he developed Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's a pyramid, if you will. And on the bottom, he talks about all the basic needs that we're supposed to be striving for. And, and of course, in the, at the heart of it is self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, self-determination, self-validation. He says, he teaches that we are responsible for creating our own self-worth. And that if we are not fulfilled, if we're not satisfied with ourselves, it's because we're not doing a good job at validating ourselves. Are you listening to me this morning? That, that's new age. That's Hinduism. That's Buddhism at its heart, at its core. And it's the error that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. I'm trying to warn you this morning of this particular voice that is so pervasive in society today. If we, you and I are not careful, this sort of information would draw our hearts away from the truth of Scripture. And I'm trying to tell you that Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle, he denounces this ideology. He denounces it. Maslow, he talks about peace with the universe. And in his teachings, when you look at it really good, like I have done over the years, especially when I was in college, we find in it traces of Aleister Crawley's teachings. I would love to talk about Aleister Crawley. Put that name down on your notes. You do the research. Alistair Crawley. And for more on this information, if you haven't already done so, I want to strongly encourage you. Um, I found it recently on YouTube. Of course, I purchased the DVD before they released it onto YouTube. But there's a wonderful, this wonderful project that was done by a man by the name of James Jagger. James Jagger. And his documentary is called Cultural Marxism, The Destruction of America. That, that, I, I, listen, I strongly encourage you to look that up. Again, Cultural Marxism, The Destruction of America. That's the title of the documentary. It's, it'll help you to understand a lot deeper of what I'm talking about here this morning and what is happening to our institutions here in the United States. Anyway, let's get, let's get to the passage, right? Point number one. Let's talk about what does Paul encourage us to consider from this particular text. It's not complicated. I'm not going to try to reinvent the, the, the wheel here. I, I just, you already know that about me, right? I just don't try to do that, right? It's simple. When I study the Word of God, no matter where I'm at in the Scriptures, from Genesis to, to Revelation, the, the pattern is the same in terms of what God gives to his people in terms of what we should apply, what we should be applying to our lives so that we can be the children that God desires for us to be. And the same thing applies here to this one particular passage. Look to verse 1 with me because this first point is devote 
ourselves to what is true. Devoting ourselves to what is true. Thank you, Tim. I went through one bottle already. And my producer <laughs> just gave me another bottle of water. <laughs> Tim Lansing, he's our producer. Devote ourselves to what is true. Look at verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Two things I want to highlight from this particular, from that particular voice. Number one, Paul the Apostle encourages us to rejoice in the Lord. And number two, he refers to the repetition of God's word to be a great benefit. To be a great benefit. For the first point, we can, we can never underestimate the importance of our identity in the Lord. It, it's actually, it actually serves as a backbone of our existence. The idea is that we will be okay, we will always be okay as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. But this connection that, we, that we've established with the Lord, it has to be genuine. And when it's genuine and our focus is Christ-centered, God actually allows us by His Holy Spirit, of course, to rejoice in Him always. He establishes this identity with us, right? This identity and He nurtures it. And as long as we are genuine in our approach to God, as long as we live for the Lord without reservations, I think you need to write that word down, or that phrase, without reservations, as long as our pursuit of God is without reservations, God will always, that's an absolute term, God will always bring about fulfillment in our lives. And we would never need to go outside of His Word for validation. Never. Listen, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of people in my life. I got a lot of contacts, right? I talk to a lot of people on a regular basis. I've accomplished some things, right? Not, 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 not much, right? The bank account is empty, right? But there are a lot of things in my life that I can simply turn to. If I turn my back on God, I can say these are the things that are validating me today, right? And, and, and listen, we got, I, I'm just as imperfect, just as sinful as you are, right? And, and let's just face it, there are a lot of things that exist in our lives that we kind of look to, to kind of give us worth. Give, some of us depend upon what other people say to us, or what other people think about us, right? Let's just face it, a lot of us are like that. It's a mistake, it's an error. Listen, I, I can point that out for me personally. It's actually a dysfunction to live by what people say, or by what we believe people think about it. It's a mistake. It's a dysfunction. Because through that process we receive a validation that's outside the scope of the Word of God. And that's not healthy. Because what becomes of us when those people fail us? What becomes of us when the people that we, we've drawn close to us, when they're saying bad things about us? I, I hear the rumors, just like you hear the rumors, right? Things come back to me about what people say that they shouldn't be saying. I mean, we all do it to a certain degree. It's wrong. It's rooted in sin. 
And so when we focus, when, if our identity as children of God is based upon all of these natural things on a natural view, on naturalism, or whatever you want, however you want to refer to it as, then we miss out on what God truly has to say about us, and we fail to rejoice in the Lord, as Paul the Apostle stresses right here in this particular verse. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. The only way that we can do that is to surrender ourselves to Him. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. These are not in my notes, but I'm, I'm trying to preach it here. Right? He says, there's going to come a time when a generation is going to rise up to serve me in spirit and in truth. Paul the Apostle talked about this in Galatians 2.20, where he says, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You notice how there's no, no, no tone Related to um, uh, 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 reservations is what I'm trying to say. No self-validation in the tone of Paul's voice, at least when we read it in Scripture. No, no, no. He, he has surrendered himself wholly and fully to God. It's something that you and I need to be doing. This point is devote ourselves to what is true. Devoting ourselves to what is true. Here's a quote for you. Remember to always put God first in your relationships, in your marriage, and in your home. Because where there is Christ, your foundation will always remain solid. Author unknown. I looked it up, I saw it, but there was no name attached to it. And it's amazing. It's amazing what becomes of our lives when we, when we just surrender ourselves over to God. And if there were ever a season in our lives... When we should live without reservations, it is right now. I don't know about you, but there might be a bald spot right there someplace because I'm pulling my hair out. This quarantine is driving me insane. I said this once before. I got to tell you again because it's so real and I'm trying to get over it. I think I'm being a little too hard on Wolfie, on my dog. Right? Because he stares at me, because he has this deep, he depends on me, he loves me, I care for him, I'm with him all the time. And so he, he loves that, he, he's so personal, he's got personable, he's got to be close, he's got to be sitting on my lap, and this quarantine is driving me so mad that I'm taking it on on him. I'm not, no, I'm not abusing him, no, I'm not yelling at him. It, it, he doesn't hear, he lost his hearing, so he wouldn't hear me anyway. It'd be a waste of time. But I'm not treating him the same way I used to in my heart because of this quarantine. And so more than ever before, I've had to look to the Lord to validate me, to give me worth, to give me a sense of strong sense of meaning and purpose. I need it now more than ever. But that's just to the first point of this verse 1. There's a second portion where, that Paul stresses here. And it's the, the Christian standard is the Word of God. The Christian standard in the word is the Word of God. Listen to verse 1 again. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. By the way, I think I'm reading from the, the, the NIV. I said, I think, because I got it. I typed everything out on my notes. And I don't remember which version. I think it's the NIV, if I'm not mistaken. 
Anyway, nowhere in scripture, we're talking about the second half of this point, number one. Nowhere in scripture are we encouraged to believe that we can live outside the scope of the word of God and experience fulfillment. You will never read that idea in scripture. Quite to the contrary. If we want fulfillment, we have to look to the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible is our lifeline. It is our ultimate resource. It's our compass. It leads us, it guides us, it instructs us in the direction that we should go in. It's the source of our spiritual vitality. I love that word. It's the source of our spiritual vitality. And there's never been a time when man has trifled with its contents and walked away without total regret. Have you ever met somebody, encountered somebody, or heard, heard about someone who kind of dabbled in the Word of God and kind of mixed it up and confused it, or somebody dabbling in clear false doctrine or false religion? And what that, person, what that person's life looks like today as a result of that? Listen, at the end of the day, there will be nothing but regret if we trifle with the Scriptures. If we look to validate ourselves um, by utilizing a standard outside the Word of God, there is none. There shouldn't be any. And I know to some of you, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I, I know that. I know that, right? I might be even wasting my time to some degree. But that's not the case for everybody listening in. And in my heart, by the Holy Spirit, I know that. Because there was a time in my life as a believer, just, just a few years ago, maybe five years, five, six, seven years ago, when there were some struggles, some difficulties in my life. Listen, I, I, and, and, and I kind of took my eyes off the Lord just a little bit. You remember Peter, right? Peter's experience on the Sea of Galilee. I forget what that, where that is. I, I know I have it in my notes someplace. Uh, but Peter, he asked the Lord to allow him to come off the boat and onto the water with him. And the storm was, you know, was really, 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 really prevalent, right? It was, it, it was a storm. I'm not sure if it was rain or hurricane or any of that stuff. But the weather was bad. And Peter was trusting in the Lord enough. To come out onto the water with Jesus. And Jesus has come. Peter stepped out of the boat in faith and onto the water. And the man walked on water. As long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus. He was able to walk on water in spite of everything that was, that was happening around him. In the world around him. Just like you and I. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, it doesn't matter what exists on, in the world around us. We will be able to walk on water. Like an eagle that soars over the storm, you and I can succeed and live a, a, a powerful, powerful, victorious life as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus. But what happened to Peter? He took his eyes off Christ and he began to sink. This is an old story, you know this, you've heard it a million times. But it's important to make nonetheless, because not all of us are living a Christian life without reservations. Some of us are struggling with the faith. Some of us are living with a constant instability about our lives. 
And that's what I meant earlier. I'm not never going to try to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to say the same things over if necessary. And I just, I'll ask God for the wisdom to say it differently every time. As preachers, we make the mistake of trying to say something new. Something that's never been said before. Right? So that we can sound good. We can validate our positions, ourselves in our positions. Listen, I don't have that vanity in my heart. Much of what I study, much of what I read, I never bring before you. Because it's just too much. It, 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 it causes me to lose sight on the important things that need to be said. Anyway, Paul says concerning the Word of God, that it is to be used for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You want to live the right way? You want to do the right thing? You want to please God? You want to honor God? It's found in the truth of the Word of God. The principles of the Word of God. We are either yielding our lives to the standard of this world, and in the context of this message, we're talking about self-validation. And if you want to study a little further, look up Gnosticism. Because Gnostic self-validation or self-righteousness is rooted in Gnosticism or the other way around. It applies, there's a connection between it. Because I've looked up these words. Gnosticism goes all the way back to the beginning. Gnosticism teaches that, that these people who subscribe to it, that they're living by a revelation or a truth outside of the scriptures. But Gnosticism also teaches a denial of the humanity of Jesus Christ. That might be TMI, right? A little too much information. Right? But Gnosticism goes all the way back to the beginning. And we can be guilty of Gnosticism if we live our lives. This is the point. If we live our lives outside the scope or outside the standard of the Word of God. Gnosticism. We look to value, validate ourselves by means outside of God's pleasure or the things that please Him. Anyway, the verse that I quoted to you before, that was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Point number two, beware of the false gospel. Beware of the false gospel. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I'm going to read that again. I love that. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And I understand Paul was talking about people. right? Look out for these individuals. But listen, it's almost impossible to spot a false prophet by his appearance. And some of us will never be able to spot the false prophet or the, the, the evildoer that, that Paul the Apostle is talking about here. The dogs, the evildoers, the, those who mutilate the flesh. What in the world does that mean? Those whose orientation is naturalism or secular humanism, this natural perspective, living according to a, a natural standard rather than according to the Word of God. He says, look out for those people. And the best way to recognize those individuals is to listen out for their message. 
to live. What is it? There's what? It, what are they saying? What are they teaching? I remember thinking about something that Solomon wrote in the in the Proverbs. It's not in my notes, but it's it's it's, it's a good thought nonetheless. He says he's talking about he's talking about evil doers or scoffers or um, sinners. He says even in an unrighteous or foolish, it is even a foolish person can be deemed to be wise as long as his mouth is closed. But when he opens his mouth, his foolishness is revealed. That's a paraphrase, of course. When he opens his mouth, his foolishness is revealed. And that's what Paul the Apostle is talking about here. Listen out for the message from your teachers, your preachers, or those who are speaking into your life. Because not everybody has your best interest at heart. And this is an extremely important point because in my view, false religion, as well as a perversion of the true gospel, is Satan's choice of interest in destroying mankind. If you think about the book of Acts and how Satan raised up a, a severe persecution against the church, he succeeded in many ways with that persecution. He destroyed a lot of Christians. In fact, Paul the Apostle Saul of Tarsus himself was used by the enemy to destroy many Christians. We said this before, right? Many Christians were killed. Um, many Christians were imprisoned. Um, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, it was extreme in the first century, the second century, the third century. In fact, it's been extreme ever since then. But... But it's important to note that Satan turned his attention to defiling or corrupting the Word of God. Because if he could successfully do so, then he can limit our impact on the world stage. Because we live by the standard of the Word of God. If you can control what people learn, what people know, if you can control the flow of education, that's what's happening in our school systems, right? The information our students are learning in schools is, has been corrupted in so many different ways. Because if you can corrupt the information, the flow of information, then you can rule the people thereby. <clears throat> For the sake of time, I'm just looking at my notes so that I can move along. I want you to take a... I want you to go to Galatians chapter 1. I want you to... I want you to see something with me. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 6 with me. Remember this point is beware of the false gospel. Beware of false teaching, of false doctrine, of false preachers. And beware of, of this this philosophy that we've been talking about in this message, this self-validation, this stuff that flows from Eastern mysticism. Did I say that before? No, I didn't say that, but I'll say it now. It flows from Eastern mysticism, from Hinduism and Buddhism, this feel-good message, this seeker-friendly message that we, that's so pervasive in society today. It's wrong. Listen to Galatians 1.6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Paul the Apostle was contending for the faith against so many different false preachers in the first century. I mean, he was always moving about trying to correct what people were listening to, what people were subscribing to. He would leave a particular region, a particular village, a particular area, and someone would come in and fill the way and preach something that was totally different from the message that he had delivered to them. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. 3, 4 and 5. Galatians 2. Go with me. It says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Verse 4. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Verse 5. We did not give in to them for a moment so that, highlight, underline these last words, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I love, I love that. I'm so thankful to God for Paul the Apostle's ministry. I believe it's the reason why you and I are here. I believe it's the reason why you and I know Jesus. But just think of the length he went to preserve the gospel so that the people there in his generation could hear the word of God and have an encounter with the true and living God. But yet we know that according to these verses, he had to sort of minister the gospel again and again and again to the same people because they were listening to things, to preachers, to teachings they weren't supposed to be listening to. Some of us tune in to preachers on television that we should not be listening to. If the message is not conservative, if the message is not centered on the Word of God, listen, that stuff that feels good, that seeker-friendly stuff, leave that stuff alone. It's not of God. It's just not of God. It's going to pull us away from the Gospel. It's centered on sensuality in so many different levels. Self-validation is all aimed to make you feel good and to draw you away from the principles of the Word of God. I'd love to throw some names at you right now, but I'm resisting. Tim, I'm resisting. I'm not going to do it. I, I, I'm, not to, I'm not going to do it. Galatians chapter 3, verse, verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently sent forth, crucified among you. Let, let's unpack that just a little bit. Because it's important. He says, who has bewitched you? Jesus Christ was persecuted. Some of you are responsible for it. He says, talking to the people, not, not, not you. He was crucified before you. You know it. You've seen it. You heard it. You were there. You know what he preached. You know what he taught. The gospel, the truth. He lived a physical life. He was God in the flesh. In the flesh. And yet, after Jesus Christ was crucified, a philosophy, a teaching started to, to make its way into the church. It's called docetism. D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Did you get that? D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And docetism teaches that it, it denies the humanity of Jesus Christ. 
And many Christians in the body of Christ started to deny because they weren't there. Say 50 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they started to teach this. AD 90 and beyond. Docetism. That somehow Jesus Christ had a body, but it wasn't a physical body, etc. Do you know what that means to Christianity? There is no faith if we deny the physical life, the humanity of Jesus Christ, the physical crucifixion. There is no salvation if you deny that. The actual physical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our salvation rests upon that truth. Docetism is satanic at its core. Chapter, I'm sorry, point number three. I'm going to move on. Point number three. In this particular point, it has to do with stripping away from our lives the stuff that is tainted with misinformation. The stuff that's rooted in the flesh and that doesn't please God. Because there's so much that we've absorbed here, there, and everywhere that's just so tainted. Remember, we're talking about self-validation. Information is tainted with all the wrong things that somehow we need to learn how to regurgitate. Because what I'm going to show to you right here from these, these successive verses is that Paul learned how to do exactly that. He considered his life before he came to Jesus. He shared his accolades with us in this one particular passage. But he regurgitated everything he, he was, he used to be, he stood for. Everything about his previous life, he, he, he gave it up. He surrendered it for the truth of the gospel. This third point is spring cleaning me. Spring cleaning me. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But look, look to me. Verses 7. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7. It says, But whatever gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. This point is spring cleaning me. And let me just simply draw your attention to a tradition that that has existed in this country for a very long time. I don't know how long. Longer than I've been alive, that's for sure. Longer than we've been alive. And it's called spring cleaning, right? Just simple as that. Spring cleaning. It's a tradition, right? During this time of year, right now, tens of millions of people, for whatever reason, they look to their drawers, their closets, their, 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 their counters and their homes, their apartments, etc. And this is a season where we start to gather things. The excess stuff, the fat in our homes, if we could put it that way. And we start to, we start to get rid of stuff, right? We start to sell them something. This is where swap meets or we back east, we call them flea markets, right? Um, we, we, we take things to, we either give it away or we try to sell it. And nowadays it's a, it's a little, a little more efficient to do this because we got apps like, um, what's that app? Offer up and things like that. Just simply take a picture of something that you want to you get rid of. 
like the shoes that you have. Uh, my wife Brenda is listening right now. All those sneakers, I'm going to put you on blast. All those sneakers that are taking up all that space in the closet. Take some pictures of those things. Listen, put them up. Offer up. And those shoes, you women that are listening to me, all those shoes, I'm helping the men out of this congregation. And God knows all those pocketbooks. Why? Listen, just take a picture of that stuff. Put it on offer up. And sell it. You're going to make some money. It's spring. Sell some of that stuff. Put some money back in your bank account. Anyway, that's what we do, right? In spring, we, we clean out our houses. But I want you to take, I want you to take that same concept and apply it to, it's funny, right? But take that same concept and apply it to our spiritual lives. This point causes us to weigh in the balance everything related to our lives. Stuff that not only serves to grant our enemy uh, certain privileges into our affairs. Uh, you know, we, we, we yield our lives in that way. We end up corrupting ourselves. And so this passage is wonderful. This point is necessary and it's extremely important. Spring cleaning me. In fact, we have a family friend back east. Um, her name is, um, oh my goodness, Eileen, Eileen Price. Eileen Price. She wrote a good book. And it's titled Spring Cleaning Me. I encourage you. Go on Amazon. Pick up that book. You need to read that book. It's extraordinary. Eileen Price. The book is titled Spring Cleaning Me. So this is where I got the information for this. At least for the, the title of this point. Uh, that is. Paul says. Talking about Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I used to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I used to be a Hebrew of Hebrews. I used to be a lawyer. I used to do all these things. I used to be a persecutor of the church. But I've given it all up because it's been proven to be a lie. I was living my, my life by a standard outside the truth of the Word of God. And I have given that stuff up. Oh, Lord. God's people, this point is so important. Because you and I, I, I admit that. And if I had more time, you know, I wear my transparency on my sleeve. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my life, is, what my life consists of. The, the areas that I'm struggling. I got no issue with that. I, I need help. I need somebody to come alongside me. Right? I talk to Tim all the time. I need somebody to come alongside me. Right? Iron sharpens iron. And, and I know that. Use the word of God against me. Rebuke me. Correct me. Discipline. Do whatever is necessary. You see me out of place from time to time? Listen, I, I, I would hate it if you knew something about me and did not. Pastor, I think you should be. I, I, listen, I'm open to that. I'm open to that. Because I want to be like Paul the Apostle. I, wanna, I want everything in me that's rooted in my past life to be exposed. And I want to surrender it. That's what we heard Paul talk about in verses 7 through 10. In fact, he says that in this entire chapter. He had learned that it was only his way, anyway, concerning his past life, that, that the way he lived, it was his way of establishing meaning and purpose in his life. But he denounces that in this one particular chapter. Uh, let me move on. Let me, let me just, let me summarize, let me move towards closing. I think I've been here about an hour, I think, I'm not sure. I love Paul the Apostle, because he was a wonderful man. He did everything right as far as I'm concerned, in terms of 
in terms of preserving the gospel and making sure you and I have what we need to know about the Christian life, his epistles, wonderful works, wonderful works. And I encourage you to get into the word of God as, as often as you possibly can. At the end, towards the end of his life, he makes a wonderful, powerful proclamation, powerful declaration. It's a paraphrase because I don't remember the words uh, per se, but he says, um, he says, I have finished the race, I have finished the course, um, something to the effect that now he was ready to meet his Lord, he has the prize. I know that the verses are in this passage also, um, but I, I just love that about Paul. He denounced everything, he forsook everything, he turned over a new leaf, he started to live according to the word of God without reservations. And at the end of his life, we know, we know that he died for the cause of Christ. Because in 67, in 68 AD, I think, 67 or in 68 AD, he was beheaded for the cause of Christ. How validated do you feel today? What is the source of your confidence today? Is your life rooted and grounded in the word of God? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? Your Bible study? How's your devotional life? Do you take the time out to worship the Lord? Do you live your life out as an extension of your worship time in the Lord? Is that where you are? Or are you trifling with the truth of the word of God? Are you taking the word of God for granted? Is it, is it a standard you are acquainted with here, but somehow has it trans, trans, transmitted itself to affecting this part of you, your heart? I'm touching my left side. I know that the screen inverts, right? What, what is the source of your validation? The first point was devote ourselves to what is true. It means that we need to pursue the face of God like never before. Because these days are evil. These are evil days. There's nothing glorious about this, this season. In that natural sense. Right? Or in a moral sense. Um, yes, internally, this is the best season because I know Jesus. Right? But in terms of what exists in the world today, these are evil times. Have you ever watched the, the movie Courageous? The one thing that, that, that's the question is asked in that movie, where are you men of courage? I want to challenge you men listening to me right now. I want to challenge you deacons. I want to challenge you elders that are watching right now. I want to challenge all the men. Where are you men of courage? What is your source of validation? What is your source of validation? Are you living for the Lord? Have you given yourself wholly and entirely to Him? Are you allowing Him to use you Today, today, I challenge you to rise up. Rise up and allow the Lord to use you today. There's no work in the body of Christ that's insignificant. None whatsoever. There's no such thing. I challenge you women as well to rise up and serve the Lord. Let us fulfill His assignment for our lives. The second point was beware of the false gospel. Beware of counterfeits. This requires discernment because it's, it's, 
It's about more than just simply recognizing false religions. It's about, it's about the gratifications of the flesh as well. Satan will use all means necessary to interfere with our service to God. Beware of the false gospel. And lastly, lastly spring cleaning. It's not just about transforming our houses, our homes, by getting rid of things. It's, a, it's about denouncing our old way of life. It's about turning over a new leaf, a new leaf. It's about solidifying our relationship with the Lord and moving forward in spirit and in truth. I encourage you, church, to live your life discerning between the flesh and the spirit. Paul said, and I close with this, have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 3, Philippians 3, verse 3. Have no confidence in the flesh. He repeats it, reiterates it in verse 4 as well. Have no confidence in the flesh. This is what Christianity is all about. This world, forgive my French, but this world is going to hell in a handbasket. We need to rise up and serve the, world, serve the Lord. We need to be distinct. We need to be different. We need to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you so much for the emphasis on validation. But the type of validation that comes from you, the worth, the value that comes from you and from you alone. Help us, Lord God, to look to you. Help us to look for answers, for all the answers that we need in life. In you, in the word of God. Help us to surrender ourselves over to you. I know, Lord God, this is something that I repeat all the time. But Lord, it's necessary. And this is what you put in my heart every time. Father, help us to yield our lives over to you. Help us to devote ourselves to you, number one. And secondly, help us to beware of the false gospel. Help us to be vigilant, as Peter says to us. To be sober, to be vigilant. Because the adversary, our, our, our enemy, walks about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Help us, Lord God, to be faithful to the Word of God. To know the Word of God so that we can thereby recognize what is in, what is it true. And then lastly, help us, Lord God, to sanctify ourselves. This concept of spring cleaning. To get rid of some things that are unnecessary in our lives. To tie up our shoelaces. To put our belts on properly. Uh, to raise up our pants where they're supposed to be. To dress properly. To do, metaphorically speaking, Lord. To, to live the way that we're supposed to be living. To make a difference in this world that we live in. Father, I thank you for this. And we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say... Amen, amen, amen. Anyway, church, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, thank you to all my friends and family members back in Philadelphia. I know some of you are watching. Um, Bobby Joe is probably watching. Chrissy's probably watching. My buddy Michael Offett is probably watching. My mother is probably watching. And so many others are probably watching. I love you. I miss you. Hope to see you one day very soon. Hope to see you, church, one day very soon. And just as a reminder to the elders and the deacons, please remember, 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 I haven't gotten an email response from some of you. Please remember this coming Tuesday, um, Tim is going to set up a Zoom 
um, session for us to meet together. Please, 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 please look out for that link. We need to talk about, um, need to lay out a plan for reopening the church. As you know, we don't know when it's going to happen, right? We know what the president has stated. Um, he wants the churches, it's, he considers churches to be essential, right? Uh, but listen, we're waiting for our Governor Newsom here in the state of California. Uh, we know that some churches are defying the, the rules and the guidelines and the regulations. And, and some of you, I know, would like to move in that direction. We want to be wise. Uh, we want to be vigilant, but we want to be wise, okay? So we're not going to open up necessarily next next Sunday. We don't let let us church be patient with us. Let us talk about that, please. Elders, deacons, together, please. This Tuesday, 7 p.m. Look out for the link. Join me in the Zoom net, Zoom session. Uh, also, tentatively for the following for next Monday. Not this, not tomorrow. It's Memorial Day. For next Monday, I'd like to meet via Zoom once again. And please, please, please look out for this week. This week, we want to meet Tuesday uh, via Zoom, but maybe Thursday, maybe Friday, if we can slip it in. Please, please, please uh, look, in your, look, um, look at your inboxes for these links. I love you, church. Love you with all my heart, with all my mind, my soul. Love you with all my strength. I'll be talking to you soon. Okay? God bless.